Welcome back to Master the Marketplace with Caspian. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Master the Marketplace with Caspian. We've got an exciting lineup, a big group of folks today to talk about everything Amazon Global Logistics and just operations in general. And guess what? We've got the entire operations team here with us from Caspian to talk about this very important topic. So to get going, welcome everyone, but let me introduce our guests for today. We've got Mitch, Ned, and Will. I'll be doing a bad job of introducing them, so I'm going to let them do that themselves. So let's start here. Mitch, why don't you go first? Yeah, great. Thanks, Kunal, and happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for asking us to, to be on the show here today. Um, yeah, Kunal mentioned I'm Mitch. I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at Caspian. I've been with the organization for uh, 10 years, so been in the, the Amazon ecosystem and marketplace ecosystem for, for quite some time and um, seen a lot of the, the pain points, challenges, and also a lot of the advancements that have come in terms of uh, fulfillment by Amazon and really just the logistics and transportation process through all things marketplace. So yeah, really looking forward to the conversation today and uh, thanks for thanks for having us. Great. Why don't we go with you, Ned, next? Yeah, thanks, Kanal. Uh, yeah, so my name is Ned Woodward. Uh, I'm on the retail operations team, so I work closely with Mitch and Will on all things supply chain, all things operations. Um, like Mitch mentioned, you know, we've been, I've been with Caspian and formerly Etails for over six years. So seen a lot of the the changes to Amazon's FBA model and just excited to uh, talk about AGL a little bit. Great. Thank you. And then finally, last but not least, Will. <laughs> yeah, I'm Will, uh, Director of Retail Operations. So you know, on the retail operations side, we really do a lot to, to oversee, you know, all aspects of our inventory on, on multiple marketplaces. So uh, within operations, we have you know logistics, inventory management, pricing, and, and we're overseeing that on you know Amazon, Target, Walmart, just pretty wide scope. Excellent. Well, welcome again, everyone, to the show. So maybe just start off. I know we wanted to deep dive a little bit on Amazon Global Logistics and talk about that. So maybe you know for our viewers, for our listeners, can one of you just define? Like, what have we been talking about here? Like, what is Amazon Global Logistics? How does it differ from logistics in general? Like, what, where, just define the, what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to take that one, Kanal. So Amazon Global Logistics is a program that they've been working on. Uh, Amazon has been working on for probably about five years now. Uh, it's an option for sellers to basically direct import from China into different marketplaces, you know, whether it's into the United States, into uh, the UK, um, different marketplaces like that. And compared to kind of how normal logistics work with fulfillment into Amazon, typically if you're importing from overseas, you need some sort of a service provider and infrastructure to support moving goods uh, you know, through the ports out of China, uh, landing them at one of the ports here stateside, and then you need a 3PL to land those goods at and then replenish out to Amazon directly into the fulfillment center. So what Amazon Global Logistics allows you to do is it's their one-stop shop solution to direct import from China into the fulfillment center, uh, allows sellers to not need to utilize a 3PL to land inventory at domestically. So uh, it reduces touch points and cost domestically by quite a bit. Um, so 
quite a game changer if uh, you're looking to, you know, speed up the process and reduce touch points in your own supply chain domestically. That makes sense. And, you know, great value proposition, especially given some of the trends that we've been seeing just over the past year with COVID. In fact, that was the next question before just jumping into, you know, global logistics specifically. Let's maybe get a sense of the lay of land. You know, what are we seeing from a trends perspective across the board? Maybe this is a good question for Mitch, you know, just as the operating officer at Caspian. So Mitch, what trends are you seeing in this space, especially as it relates to logistics ever since COVID happened? Yeah, certainly. Um, so it's yeah, no one's no one's ignorant to the fact that there's a lot of pressure just on global supply chain right now, all the way from all the way up to raw materials and, and production times through through manufacturing lead times, through moving inventory through ports, freight, logistics, transportation, receiving receiving it at the U.S. domestic ports. So there's just a significant amount of pressure across global supply chain, uh, uh, large in part due to due to COVID. And that means a couple of things. One, increased lead times. It's taking longer for goods to be to be uh, produced, shipped, uh, transported, and received. And costs, it's, be, it, it's becoming more expensive. So um, there's a few ways to combat that, which we want to try to minimize the amount of touch points across the supply chain, which will reduce costs as well as reduce lead times. So what's really exciting about this global logistics program is, is it can enable both of those things to come to fruition. So um, at the highest level, a lot of these pressures in the, the environment that we're in today, um, there are certain mitigation strategies which we are investing in at a, at a very high level to try to combat because we are seeing uh, you know, monumental increases to um, freight costs and we're seeing monumental increases to uh, production times and transportation times. Excellent. So let's get into that. And maybe this is a, a good question for Will, who's, you know, overseeing operations, you know, supply chain right now, you're at, at Caspian. So what are some of those mitigation strategies at a high level outside of logistics, for, global logistics for now? Just what are the different mitigation strategies that brands, manufacturers, like they should be aware of right now as it relates to the current situation? Yeah, I mean, you know, the easy answer, right, is, is, Stay as far ahead of it as you can. Um, you know, you need to be ordering earlier, um, you know, getting things, you know, logistically speaking, you know, on the water earlier, in the port earlier, you know, whatever you can do there. Um, you know, outside of that, it helps to have a, a 3PL, you know, in the state, somebody you can rely on, you know, to hold some additional inventory as needed, ship out of those locations. You know, potentially, you know, given, I think we'll get into it, some of the different pieces that Amazon's done to kind of, uh, take more of a stance in your, your in your inventory controls. Um, it helps to have you know additional options in terms of fulfillment. You know, not just relying on an FBA, but also how can you kind of you know go more direct out of a out of a warehouse direct to customer and kind of avoid some of those additional touch points. Okay, excellent, excellent. Okay, great. So let's get into to AGL a little more. Let's talk about sort of the program, let's talk about the service itself. So, so Ned, give us maybe the rundown, you know, um, why AGL one, you, you, you described AGL at, at a high level, we know the value proposition they provide, but why not just go to Merck's or some other global provider out there that can manage this all for me? Like, why should I go to AGL? No, oh, yeah, that's a great question. So what I can do is kind of set the stage for what, uh, you know, a Merck might look like versus utilizing AGL. So, with Maersk, you know, you still have to have 
um, first of all, you have to make contact with them. You have to have some sort of a contract um, for that provider for their services so you can utilize their network and infrastructure. Um, outside of that, you would need to have, you know, an agent, uh, potentially your own import bond. There's all these additional import pieces that you need to ensure are solid before you can move any goods across the water, even if you're utilizing one of these other parties like Maersk. With, and, and even in that case, like let's say with Maersk, you wanna move goods from China into the United States you don't have the ability to move them directly into an Amazon fulfillment center using Maersk. They just don't have the infrastructure and the ability to get a container into Amazon. So in that case, you get the product on the water, you land it somewhere, you know, East Coast, West Coast, down South, wherever. You still need a 3PL in order to land those goods domestically, Un uh, disembark them off the container, store them somewhere, and then potentially repalletize uh, and then replenish those out to FBA. As you can imagine, each one of those steps come with additional time and cost. With Amazon Global Logistics, those pieces domestically don't exist. You move the goods directly from China, it hits the port, it disembarks the vessel, and then it goes from the container station domestically directly into Amazon. So you don't need a 3PL to store the goods, to, uh, to do any sort of replenishment. So you save time and money throughout the domestic supply chain by utilizing Amazon Global Logistics. So that's kind of a very rough breakdown of, of the process. That makes sense. And what kind of numbers are we looking at here? Like what's the cost saving? What's the time saving at a high level? Like what would you say for, an, I know it's hard because of the, you know, there's so many characteristics that go into, you know, what we're talking about here, but by and large, what, what, what's your view? No, absolutely. And that's a, that's a great question right now because we've had the, uh, We've had the joy of testing Amazon Global Logistics through this global pandemic with, you know, all of these different supply chain pressures. But we've so far seen somewhere between uh, eight and ten thousand uh, dollars savings per container on a on a 40 footer. Um, you know, so that's typically, you know, more than what you would actually pay to to move a container. So. We're seeing a, a ton of savings through this initiative um, utilizing Amazon's network. One thing to keep in mind is while you are saving a lot of money on cost, there that is offset a bit by by time. Um, you know, Amazon is not immune to the other uh, domestic pressures of the pandemic. You know, we're still seeing driver shortages and capacity shortages uh, domestically. So moving goods from the port into the fulfillment centers, they're still seeing the same issues that, you know, a potentially a 3PL would if we were moving those goods domestically through the 3PLs carriers. Right. Yeah. One, if I could, if I could interject really, really quick there too, because cost, it, it's a very important facet. Yeah. We all, we want to cut costs across supply chain wherever we can, but um, almost equally important is the fulfillment lead time and getting goods moved from origination to destination as efficiently as possible. Um, so so we've, we've been able to experience that. We've been able to shave uh, close to two weeks off of our standard container, uh, you know, full container loads using standard ocean freight um, from using using AGL. So rather than having to short circuit this and, and, and have uh, different 
uh, staging points across the supply chain, moving it directly from, from port into Amazon. Um, we've been able to, to cut this down from close to 45 days down to 25 days. So in some cases, and those are variable, there's going to be some fluctuations along that. But, uh, but on average, that's what we've been able to see, which is monumental in terms of lead time. Because another, the, the other facet of this is, um, uh, from, a, from a brand perspective, the working capital efficiency that you're seeing in cutting down that supply chain, you have, you have that inventory tied up in the total distribution chain uh, that, that much less time. So you're able to, to, to do more um, and have that capital tied up in that inventory in a less amount of time. So um, yes, we want to focus on, on reducing the expenses along the supply chain, but also making that much more efficient from a fulfillment standpoint. Right. That's excellent. So, you know, one of the debates that's been out there over the last year specifically is, you know, brands reliance on on Amazon fulfillment. And when a COVID-like situation hits and, you know, they are, like you said, Ned, you know, they're constrained as well and they're not immune to some of these the situations. Of course, they're probably well prepared to be able to manage through it relative to many others. But by and large, you know, there is an over-reliance sometimes on FBA and you could get shut out when situations like COVID happens. Now with AGL, the playing devil's advocate, you're, you're relying more on Amazon and its fulfillment centers. So how do we protect against some of that or, or can we? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it all comes down to communication. Just like Will said, as far as, you know, planning to have a solid provider domestically, if you plan to use a 3PL and diversify your fulfillment model, you need to make sure that you have a solid relationship with the Amazon Global Logistics team in order to be aware of and anticipating any sort of hurdles, whether it's through, you know, the Amazon quantity limits and restrictions that we've seen, uh, timing delays, um, issues that we're seeing at both uh, origin and destination ports. It just comes down to to understanding, you know, when you test out the program, you know, what could potentially go wrong and, and anticipating those those pieces down the road um, as you work on, you know, future shipments and potentially test new marketplaces. So, um, you know, we're we've talked about mostly as it relates to U.S. so far, but, you know, this is an option into some of the European marketplaces as well and something that we'll be working to uh, to test out here shortly. And so. Um, hopefully, we can take some of our learnings on the U.S. side and apply those to our growth initiatives uh, internationally. I see. So your recommendation is that you know you you know even though you're using Amazon Global Logistics, you know obviously have a relationship with them or work through a Caspian or you know whatever that make you know whatever that that looks like. But then also maybe diversify through another third party logistics if needed. You know and. Uh, and, and, and Will, I'd love to get your thoughts here because, you know, you sort of brought up this point initially as well, because as we shift to more of an omni-channel like approach to selling online, you know, how does AGL, does AGL support omni-channel too well or it, does it hinder it and still give you that over-reliance on Amazon? Like, just love to get your perspective there. Well, I, I'd say AGL just seems to be kind of like one of the tools you have, you know, and it, right. it, it doesn't necessarily have to force an over-reliance on Amazon. I think you know, you look, this is a great tool to bring something to Amazon, but at the same time, you know, typically our partners still have inventory on the U.S. side that we can use, you know, through a 3PL for, you know, even to drop ship, you know, through through Amazon while waiting for this container to arrive or, you know, sell on the multiple marketplaces. So, 
I think how we look at it is a tool to get it to get it over here, and it's something that you know really helps our partners out because we're taking you know thousands of units out of their supply chain, um, but we don't overly rely on it because we still have that additional inventory stateside. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think I like what you said, which is you know, hey, it's one more tool in your toolbox, and there are many other tools out there, and it's a tool that that makes sense and it has some advantages, but don't be don't be blinded by it. There are, you know, you gotta you gotta look at you gotta look at the big picture through through the entire uh, stack that you're using. Okay, so are there specific and maybe question for either either Ned or Mitch here is like, are there specific product categories or uh, certain sizes that it makes sense where the costs make sense for AGL or or it's agnostic to some of that? Like, have you seen in your analysis where? It might make sense for certain categories. It may not. Like, what's your view there? Yeah, sure. I can take this one. Um, so far, where we've seen the most benefit is in the oversized category. Mm. Um, being able to use a floor-loaded container option has been really helpful for the brands that, you know, if in another in a, in a different scenario, maybe they'd be using a pallet-loaded configuration in their container, which, you know, doesn't maximize your utilization on the cube within that container and the volume that you can fit within that container. So where we've seen the most benefit is through our oversized categories, those larger products, you can really maximize your volume within the container utilizing that floor loaded approach. But there is no necessarily hindrance uh, across any sort of product category from what I've seen. That's just where you're going to see the most benefit. And yeah, the, I would just add to that too that that um, larger product, heavier product, it's more expensive to ship. So if you're having right. to ship that product multiple times, touch that product multiple times, the economies of savings that you're going to see by minimizing the touch points across the supply chain is is that's going to be a compounding impact. So um, yeah, that I would I would completely concur with Ned that that's where we've seen the most material cost savings. But I don't want to make that as a deterrent to say that there's not a market opportunity for the smaller, small, um, small standard, large standard products to be able to recognize material benefits on this. It just may be on a percent basis a little bit lower than what we've been able to see on an oversized standpoint. Um, but if I could, if I could go back to one point quickly that that, that Will was mentioning is is um, that. One thing for for consideration is uh, not all brands can are 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 moving container loads of product that justify mm. moving into Amazon a full container, and we're seeing that. And that was a compounding problem uh, as we managed through the pandemic last year because Amazon was under high pressure; their capacities were being overloaded, uh, their their staff was underwhelmed, so uh, there was limitations from inbounding product into Amazon. So. Um, this program out of the gates is not really eligible for every independent brand. Um, and, and, and the reason that I bring that up is, is it's important to understand that there are other strategies that can be deployed to unlock this type of potential based on leveraging a provider, um, whether it's a 3PL, other uh, global logistics firms, other you know large art, large retailers like Caspian, to be able to have consolidation points across their supply chain to consolidate less than container loads into one within these international markets, like for example in China. So we could be consolidating a lot of this inventory in China 
using AGL to make it less reliant upon sending a full container load of, of some one, one factory's product uh, to leverage this type of program. So um, I think that we may have missed that on the onset of this. And I just wanted to clarify that this isn't a dependency to have a full containers load of demand um, to be able to use this AGL program. See, that's a very interesting point. I mean, not that, you know, keeping this aside of aside of AGL, I know we have another partner, for example, in India, and, and they do something like this. Basically, what they do is they try to aggregate inventory from a number of different brands in India, and then just send one container over to our warehouses here in, in, in Spokane. And so I, I think what you're, where you're going is, you know, a sort of similar strategy here that can be utilized and you just aggregate in China, use AGL to bring it all here. Yeah, but and you'd be seeing a multiple num, uh, amount of savings on that um, for two reasons. One is you're not sending less than container load shipments. You're sending a full container load, so you're saving on the on the ocean freight on that front, as well as leveraging AGL. So all these savings that we're talking about um, through this through this episode of the podcast is um, we're able to unlock both of those. So um, it's it's really kind of a, a double whammy, if you will, from uh, from uh, expense savings because we're leveraging both. Um, so, so this is, uh, and I'm projecting here, but this is a big focal point for, for us is to continue to, to scale this consolidation effort um, across a lot of the brands within our, within our ecosystem, which we're very excited about. We think it's a market opportunity to, to, to minimize transportation expenses and lead times across the supply chain. Right. So this seems like the operations team here seems to be very excited about AGL, but like, what am I missing? Where, like, what's missing in AGL that we should all be aware of? You know, let, let's talk about some of the cons of AGL. Like, what's your view on, like, where, if someone from Amazon is listening right now, what should they take away from this conversation? Well, I think on, on our side, and this is, um, you know, last last year, like Mitch was mentioning, uh, you know, Amazon ran into their own constraints. And, and one of the things they did is they introduced Amazon quantity limits. Uh, and so this mm-hmm. is, Kind of like I mentioned earlier, this is Amazon kind of taking a stance in terms of your your uh, inventory position, um, and they're looking at it from as soon as you create that shipment all the all the way through till it's sold through Amazon. So basically, what they're doing is creating is it's more difficult now for us to create AGL shipments because we're tying up that that usage on the Amazon quantity limits with this long lead time. And generally on these higher quantities because we're trying to fill containers. So, you know, like Mitch mentioned again before, is we're looking into trying to consolidate multiple partners potentially, which will help, you know, help us avoid those ASIN level quantity limits because we can get, you know, multiple SKUs or ASINs all into one container. But until we kind of get past these quantity limits, it's a, it's a challenge to really create this, you know, widespread usage of EGL. Yeah. One thing to add to that, and Will, you're spot on there. Um, one thing to add to that is a, a general kind of dynamic shift last year through the pandemic was the concept of just-in-time planning went out the door. Demand was so sporadic. It was up and it was down and it was up and it was down that, you know, the standard, you know, 45, 30 to 45 days of coverage that we'd want to hit, hold within FBA was so unpredictable that it was causing all sorts of problems. So there was this huge insurgence of product moving into, into Amazon FBA, which caused uh, bandwidth 
capacity, just a bunch of pressure within their fulfillment ecosystem. And and we've all seen the news about their about Amazon's FBA expansion uh, efforts this next year, adding millions and millions of, of, of square feet into their FBA ecosystem to kind of account for this. But um, we're now back into the situation where we have to plan in really a very robust just-in-time model uh, because that's what Amazon's making us do due to these Amazon quantity limits, uh, also known as AQLs. So that's where it just becomes excruciatingly important for brands to have a trusted provider that can man manage this at scale and have that diversified footprint because it can be very expensive to bring in a full container load from China. And then you have to, uh, you have, to have the capabilities to store those, those excess goods, to move those excess goods rather than be able to send that whole container into Amazon, which they may not let you do. So um, we're, we are strategically getting in front of that through these consolidation efforts to try to spread that load across a variety of different partners or factories within, within China and other, under, other international markets as well um, as another value-added service that, that can be leveraged through the Caspian platform. That makes sense. Now, you know, there are some categories that, you know, may not even may not even be supported on through Amazon's fulfillment. Like, for example, and Mitch, you and I've spoken about this is is grocery. You know, we're looking at a at a brand that has a has a short shelf life potentially. You know, refrigerated product through dry ice, etc. That has to come you know from an international location here to the US, and Amazon is not even going to accept that product into their fulfillment center. So you got to work with a you know, 3PL, for example. Now, in that case, the whole AGL concept goes out of the window, right? And then you you might, or, or tell me otherwise. Um, like I would think that, that the only option in that case is you have to go to a 3PL that can, direct to, that can ship direct to consumer. What are your thoughts on these sort of niche categories that, you know, Amazon has really been managing through Vendor Central, but it's slowly sort of opening it up to third party now? Yeah, I, I, I can take that at, at uh, kind of the highest level and then Will and Ned fill in any gaps that you guys think that I may have missed. But um, Kanal, that's exactly right, that those more specialty fulfillment options may not be able to be handled by Amazon at scale or even even at all right now. And, and sometimes it's with uh, with seasonal product, multiples, those types of things. Mm -hmm. It's only pertinent through through certain periods of the year, um, which goes to show that, you, uh, that it's, you're required to have a secondary or tertiary uh, fulfillment option that can handle those kind of special situations, but that can be very cost prohibitive. Um, and, and why I say that is it's very, very expensive to go to a 3PL and say, I'm going to send in a few units of this, a few units of that that are cold storage refrigerated because you may not have the volumes with that 3PL relationship to justify any sort of economy of scale. Um, so they, it can be cost prohibitive out of the onset. So what I've seen is, is some of those brands that have those more seasonal, seasonal fulfillment they're only they're only being able to leverage the Amazon platform during those short windows of, of time that they can use FBA because it's too expensive for them to, to leverage outside opportunities uh, uh, elsewhere. Uh, again, tying it back to the Caspian proposition, um, and I don't I, I don't want to be too uh, you know sales focused right now, but um, this is part of our strategy is to leverage our volume and our economy of scale to unlock some of those volume savings that we're able to 
to, to yield because we have that scale. Um, so we have the relationships that are established. We have the volume discounts and we're able to, to do that at uh, a more cost-effective cost mechanism um, that brands are able to, to benefit from. So um, that's where it just goes back to when brands are thinking about the holistic strategy of how they want to utilize the Amazon ecosystem or any marketplace ecosystem, um, oftentimes it's worthwhile to evaluate partnering with another you know, larger, uh, deeper leveraged entity that has a lot of these things pre-contemplated. Um, so that's the way that we've approached this and that's how we intend to continue to go about it. Um, so I'll stop there and, and, and Ned will, if, if there's any other gaps that you think I missed, please let me know. No, I think you hit the nail on the head, Mitch. I think it'll be interesting to see how Amazon continues to open up these options and how these three PLs are continuing to build out services to support fulfillment when it comes to these kind of one-off needs, um, as well as whether some of these brands themselves will take on more of an owner-operator role in building out their own infrastructure to support. So right. that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Great. So let's talk a little bit about just the technology around, around you know, AGL. Uh, I presume this is available in Seller Central. Someone can go in and get started there. But Ned, walk us through, you know, how does a person get started? How does, like, what does that process look like from just, you know, all right, I'm ready to go. How do I get started now? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, whether you're you're doing this on your own or you're working with a brand like Caspian, uh, Amazon Seller Central is your one-stop shop. Uh, you know, there are some things you will need to communicate with the Amazon Global Logistics team on, you know, outside of Seller Central via email, phone, whatever. Uh, but for the most part, you can from end to end create shipments, book the transportation, and then you have vis visibility throughout the entire, you know, global supply chain once it hits the water. Uh, if there's any customs ex exams that come up, you can get visibility on those through different uh, tracking mechanisms within Seller Central. Um, and one of the really nice things is just all of the documentation is available through Seller Central. And anybody that's dealt with international you know, import or export knows that there is a ton of documentation that is required for these movements. So uh, Amazon makes gives you a ton of visibility and uh allows you to learn a lot through the resources they provide to support the end-to-end -end process. Got it. And, and again, forgive my, uh, you know, naivety here, but is, is the API to AGL within Seller Central open to connect to other software providers? If we have to build connected to say Caspian's platform, like how, how would that, how would that work? That's actually something that I, I can't speak to with a ton of depth right now. However, we are exploring potential integration with uh, AGL um, as far as through the APIs they do make available because in order to make anything scalable on our end, we want to be able to integrate that with our core. So that is one of our focuses you know, here over the next quarter is determining whether we can directly integrate with our platform um, and, and make this a really seamless process for both internal and external parties. Yeah, I would think that, you know, just as we discuss more of a diversified strategy on the supply chain using AGL, using third-party logistics providers, your own warehouse, so like whatever that looks like, you're able to consolidate even the operations across all these different backend distribution channels and, 
manage them through a centralized view. At least that will be sort of my wish list, <laughs> you know, and, and, and make it sort of easy to kind of just manage the operation end to end. Oh, okay, great. So, uh, you know, one advantage you folks mentioned is this, you know, the, the ability to be able to consolidate and, and, you know, try to send these truckload of, or, you know, the, the container, container loads of shipments over, overseas through AGL, great advantage, cost savings, time, et cetera. But if I'm a small brand starting off and I want to kind of test out the waters, sell for the first time, I don't have, you know, the, the quantity uh, that would support any of any of what AGL is talking about. Like, is your view to maybe then work with a Caspian, for example, and try to get onto one of their containers? So, what's your view on how would a smaller startup like Brand try to utilize the program? That's that's certainly right. And uh, again, I'll kind of I'll take a stab at this, and Ned will fill in uh, where you think fits. But yeah, really, the the only way to unlock the value of this program would be through a trusted provider that has leveraged this before, has the infrastructure in place to utilize it. Um, because at the end of the day, we're still all playing in Amazon's uh, backyard, and we have to play by their rules. So um, typically, if we're bringing new product to market or product with with uh, low uh, limited sales history, we're going to be throttled with how much we can bring into their ecosystem. You can solve for that in one of two ways, send less or distribute inventory amongst a variety of different fulfillment networks. That's very expensive. So if we want to send less, let's unlock, let's unlock this potential of using AGL by consolidating this less than truckload or less than container load uh, of inventory into something that can fill up a container. We can have it at a consolidation point, manage that inbound logistics into Amazon using AGL, and then we all win from that. So um, that's really uh, from a from a brand's perspective, that would be the, the easiest path forward to enter into this environment. And as things materialize, demand's going to grow and these, these limits are going to increase. Ideally, we get to a state where this brand can independently be coordinating containers from, from China into Amazon directly, but that's it once it reaches a critical mass. Um, and that's not going to happen overnight, and that's okay because you can have a, tr a provider like this or somebody, or somebody that's leveraging this, this uh, environment to enable that for you. Um, so that's, that would be my approach um, just by, from somebody that's, that's used this program before and gone through these, these uh, kind of nuances. Yeah, I think that, that's spot on. You know, you, number one, you don't want to get overloaded, you know, if you're a new brand in terms of what you have on Amazon and, you know, force yourself into additional fees, different pieces like that. But, you know, number two, with, with these quantity limits, it wouldn't even be an option necessarily to, to overload early on because you're, you're limited as a new, you know, new seller or new uh, ASINs coming in the marketplace. Excellent. Great. So, you know, to end today, again, thank you for all your, your views today. Was there anything that we missed out in our conversation today that might be worth for our viewers to know about or, 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 you know, listen to, is there anything that we didn't cover as it relates to, you know, logistics or some, some other insight that you might want to share with our, with, with our viewers today? The only other piece that I have, and this is going to be a little bit of a, of a, a change of course, is um, there was some news announced a couple of weeks back about um, uh, typically Amazon releases their their um, 
fulfillment fees and store warehousing expenses. They release their increases to be effective in February. Um, they usually release them at the tail end of the, of the prior year and then they take effect in February. So there's a ramp up period to, to plan for that. Um, well, that hasn't happened yet. So there's this big ambiguity about what are fees going to look like? How, what, you know, are we going to have these huge multiples of, of, uh, of increases to warehousing and fulfillment fees and all of those pieces? So um, it is a very much a moving target and um, we're all in this together. But uh, I do think that it's, it's worth calling out that um, I, I think that Amazon is tr still trying to understand what the baseline is. Like volumes have been in such high fluctuation right now and there's been so much variability. It's very difficult for them to forecast what life is going to look like three, six, nine, 12 months down the road. Um, so they're, they're, they're in, in some cases, at least my perspective is buying a little bit of time before they're, before they're truly kind of empirically understanding what this, what these expenses need to look like to ensure that they're covering uh, anything that they need. Because again, they, they shared with us earlier, earlier this last year that their investment into their fulfillment infrastructure, it's only going up. They're spending millions and millions of more dollars this year to expand their capabilities and to expand their networks. So um, I know that's a topic, it's, it's a ripe topic of discussion and, and of high debate right now, but um, I just felt this would be an interesting time to, to, bring that, to bring that into the fold. Oh, completely makes sense. I mean, this is the right forum to talk about, to talk about that. Now, you know, let's assume positive intent. Maybe Mitch, they're giving us a break this year. No fee increases. <laughs> I, I really, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. <laughs> Great. Ned, Will, any last minute thoughts? Uh, similar to what, what, you know, picking off, piggybacking off of what Mitch said, I guess I'm curious to see as Amazon, we've seen news of them, you know, buying cargo planes, of buying vessels, um, building infrastructure overseas with Amazon Global Logistics. Do we see Amazon making a play at becoming kind of a global provider and a competitor of Maersk, of Hapag Lloyd, these, these larger providers that have been around and operating in this space for you know, 50 plus years. Um, do we think, I mean, obviously they have a lot of infrastructure, they have a lot of capital. Uh, how do we see them being able to compete in that space? Wow. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's <laughs> yeah, a ahead, very, very, very good question. Um, a very fun uh, Bezos quote is your margin is my opportunity. Um, so there's no market too big or too small if, if there's, you know, uh, profit to be driven and it's a market that is synergistic or tertiary to, um, to to the Amazon model, which global logistics, we already know, AGL, the, the G and the L is global logistics, right? So um, I, I do truly believe that there is there is significant invest in, investment from Amazon that their prime ecosystem can scale across all international markets. Um, uh, if we think back to the original you know model, they wanted to distribute books all the way down to the to, to the Amazon. Um, and, and I think that uh, they're making strides to become a, a truly global provider, minimizing friction across the supply chain from product origination to the end consumer. And if they can control that all through a vertical integration strategy, that's what they're going to do. So um, I think all the leading indicators are saying that uh, their investments are going to continue to focus on being a true global player that is not reliant upon um, uh, other service providers to enable that. We saw that with FedEx and their their disengagement with FedEx in 2019, um, maybe 2020. I think 2019. Um, but yeah, Ned, I think you're I think you're spot on. I think that 
Um, we'll continue to see trends showing that this the investment in global logistics from a prime perspective um, is is going to be where they're focused. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I can only add to that and and say is you know when when I was at Amazon, there were a lot of talks about you know imagine if we just had one single Amazon.com for the world, and imagine if we provide any product anywhere available anywhere in the world same day delivery. Like, you know, imagine having that sort of vision. For that, you have to have a logistic solution that can support that kind of, uh, you know, um, mechanics to fulfill to the customer. So it'll be interesting to see how how this all plays out over time. Yeah. But folks, yeah, it was an absolute, yeah, go ahead, Will. No, I would agree with you. And it, it'll be interesting because I think we'll kind of get some perspective of kind of their growth and where they're headed through the AGL program right now. You know, we tend to see they're loading things through L.A. and, and Long Beach. And it'll be just interesting to see as, you know, they start transferring to the east or do we see additional options, you know, through um, air freight, different pieces like that. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch. Great. All right, folks. Well, it was a pleasure to have the three of you on the show. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Ned. Thank you, Will. Best of luck as you continue to integrate AGL with a lot of our partners and continue to deliver value to them through these cost savings and time savings like we've discussed. And we'll hope to see and hear more from you very soon in the future. Thank you again for being on the show. And we will talk to everyone again on another episode of Master the Marketplace. Bye-bye. It's been a pleasure. See ya. Through conversations with experts in online retail, with years of marketing, compliance, and inventory management experience, we seek to empower our listeners to master the marketplace. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next time on Master the Marketplace with Caspian.